So uh, there has been an explosion. You may know this. There has been an explosion in the study of the brain over the last 25 years. There's probably been a couple of things that have led to that. More sophisticated uh, capacity to scan the brain and locate specific activity in the brain. And also, they're running really complicated computer simulations now that kind of help them figure out what's going on in the brain. And one of the things they're trying to identify in the brain is the connection between our brains and our behavior. And of course, there is a profound connection. For instance, on the one hand, they have discovered that uh, our brains are more hardwired than we might have thought. They've done these interesting studies where uh, the, the, in young children, um, they, they will connect nodes to them, and, and in young children, the ones whose pleasure centers light up at thrill activities, they end up in life choosing certain kinds of vocations. On the other hand, almost exactly the opposite, they have discovered how elastic the brain is. The brain has a tremendous capacity to heal itself. And uh, along with that, the brain has the capacity to repattern. We can, we can rewire, we can repattern our brain, and that actually has profound implications in our behavior. Now, this honestly, it shouldn't have surprised Christians. Uh, the Holy Spirit, I think, has known this all along. But I want you to think about that when you hear this word from the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 12. He says this in verses 1 and 2. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Listen to this. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed, be changed. And here's the mechanism. By the renewing of your mind, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Okay, we've come to the end of our series of conversations about how to connect with God. And uh, we may have saved the best for last. Here's our final thought in our series of conversations. In order to nurture a real and dynamic connection with God, we must guard our minds. And it takes some discipline, it takes some effort. We must guard our minds. Literally, we've we've got to control what we think about to deepen our connection with God. And we can, and it makes a huge difference when we do. So we're going to use as our text this morning a passage from Philippians chapter 4. And if you've got a Bible, Philippians is one of those little books toward the back of the New Testament. If you do it online, it's easy. Uh, Philippians chapter 4, we're going to look at verses 4 through 9. And I'm telling you, there are four truths that, that leap out of this text that speak directly to this, this connection between the brain and behavior and also speak deeply into how we grow our connection. How do we enrich our connection with God? So Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 9, and let's do some spiritual aerobics. Let's go old school and stand out of reverence for God's word. And I'm going to read Philippians 4, 4 through 9. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. And do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. 
Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about those kinds of things. Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. You may be seated. All right, truth number one that leaps out of this for us is that we've got to choose to rejoice with gentleness. Again, we're building the, the mental environment that deepens our connection with God. It starts with choosing to rejoice with gentleness. If we want to experience ritual connection to God, we've got to choose to rejoice. This isn't, polite, this isn't a polite suggestion. We, we are told to rejoice, and evidently it's a big deal because Paul repeats it. Uh, I'm telling you, rejoice. Let me say it again. Rejoice. No matter what circumstances we're facing, our connection with God will deepen as we choose to rejoice. So what does that mean? Well, it doesn't mean we're always to be happy. This isn't naive Pollyannaism. It doesn't mean we should ignore our challenges and burdens. In fact, in just a second, he's going to talk about what we should do with our challenges and burdens. It certainly doesn't mean that we won't have any challenges or burdens. Choosing to rejoice always means that we choose to find joy in every circumstance. By an act of our will, we choose to find joy. We don't ignore our grief or our disappointment, but we choose as best we can to receive them as opportunities to grow. We don't force ourselves to believe, oh, nothing happened here. This isn't denial. But we, we choose to accept what happened as something that God allowed and that he can use for his glory and for our good. You know, numerous studies have been done that have shown that we are biologically and psychologically designed to live like this. There's a recent study done by a, a combined effort between uh, Boston University Clinical Psych Department and the Harvard Medical School, and they found that, uh, listen to this, all you optimists out there, they found that people who tended to be optimistic about life live 11 to 15% longer than people who tend to be pessimistic. And they, they tend to li live healthier lives. I've talked here before at Gateway in the past about uh, my struggles as, as a younger man with anxiety. And uh, in my uh, 20s and early 30s, I, I struggled sometimes profoundly uh, with anxiety. I went to counseling. I, I went to Christian services and had people pray over me. I read tons of books. I tried all kinds of strategies. And uh, for another time or for a private conversation sometime, God healed me of that, really. Uh, it, it happened in a couple of what I would call blinding revelations, blinding realizations. Uh, one of those was um, the series of, of God introducing me to, I don't know, different ideas. I, I, I realized that my struggle with anxiety had driven me to God. I had a deeper, more profound connection with God because I had gone through a, a struggle with anxiety than I would have had otherwise. I had pursued him doggedly, more seriously, sometimes with anger and sometimes most of the time out of desperation. But I had pursued him doggedly because of my anxiety. And all of a sudden I realized, ah, anxiety has been my friend. 
Now, up to this point, I had what I would call my worry funk. I would get worried often about something irrational, and then I would worry about worrying. And then I would worry about worrying about worrying. And then I would worry about worrying about worrying about worrying. And it just downwards, down I'd go. I want you to know that that realization, anxiety has trained me to move toward God. That realization ended my worry funk. I'm not saying all worry went away, but I was essentially healed of the downward spiral. It enabled me to choose joy in worry. I want you to think about this. Where do you choose to sing worship songs? I mean, for some of you, that would be nowhere. You don't want to hear yourself sing. But for others of you, I hope it's here, or maybe it's in your car by yourself. You're blasting, you're singing, embarrassing yourself at the stoplight. Uh, or, you know, maybe it's in the shower if you don't think anyone is home. Uh, if we were to take a survey here, I bet we'd get a variety of answers, but I doubt any of you would say, in prison, you know, I, I, I choose to sing worship songs in prison. I would really like to sing worship songs chained to a dirty wall in a dark, dank dungeon in the ancient European city of Philippi. But we know from Acts 16 that that's where Paul and Silas sang worship songs. And the early Philippian Christians, the one who received this letter from Paul, they were fortunate enough to have witnessed it. They, they saw Paul and Silas hauled away, falsely accused, and imprisoned. And before they would see them again, they would hear them. They would hear them choose to rejoice. They would hear how God's people experienced connection with God even in the midst of suffering. As they stood outside of Philippi's jail, they would hear not moans and curses, but the strain of familiar worship songs coming from the dungeon. Rejoice in the Lord always. Let me repeat myself. Rejoice in the Lord. Choose rejoicing. Let that fill your heart and mind. All right, the Philippian Christians had known suffering. We all have. And they, they even knew suffering because of their faith. You know, for many of the first Christians, they, they were persecuted and their lives were made difficult because of, of their choice to follow Jesus and his cross. But these Philippians also had the advantage of having watched two of God's saints deal with suffering up close and personal. So they were prepared to hear God's command here, rejoice always. And they knew they didn't have an excuse. They knew they couldn't say, oh, that's just not realistic because they had seen it. Then Paul adds this in verse 5. Let your gentleness be evident to all. This word gentleness, uh, if you look it up in a Greek dictionary, you'll find that it also suggests the idea of, interestingly, reasonableness and, even more interesting, yieldedness. So what does that mean? It means that we are to rejoice regardless of circumstance. In fact, we are to be yielded to God in all circumstances, leaving outcomes and future up to Him. Our job, our job, our job description is not to control outcomes. Our job is not to strive and to hang on and to try to exert uh, power. Our job is not to make sure everything is in place and it's all secure. Our job is to rejoice and to exhibit gentleness. If we want to experience a real dynamic connection with God, we will choose the brain pattern of rejoicing with gentleness. Second truth 
that leaps out of this passage for us. If we want to experience connection with God, we will present our concerns to God, whatever they are, we will present our concerns to God with thanksgiving. So, what is your typical thought pattern when you're facing difficulty? Difficulty comes, what, what, what's typical for you? Is it make a plan? Is it pro and con list? Maybe it's call a friend. Or maybe it's whine and devolve into self-pity. Or maybe it's get mad at everyone around you. Some of those options are better and more positive than others. Um, some of those are very positive approaches. But listen, God is telling us that none of those approaches is the starting place for us. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. In other words, take all your worries, all your troubles, put them in a box, and then wrap that box with thanksgiving, and then present that box to God, and he will in turn give you his presence. I, I don't know, if you, do you know the story of George Mueller? Uh, Mueller knew a little bit about the temptation to worry, and he knew a little bit about pressing into the power of prayer in the face of his worries. Mueller ran an orphanage in uh, the 19th century in England. He housed and fed and educated hundreds of unwanted children over the course of three decades, and he did it, listen, all alone and all by faith. Here's what I mean. Mueller knew that he, he was going to have to work the, the orphanage if he wanted to see his vision for it fulfilled and, he, he would, and to make it a go. He was going to have to be fully invested in it himself. But how would he support such a venture? And, and Mueller felt he heard God clearly tell him that he, George Mueller, was to rely fully on him, God, for everything without any other means of support. So Mueller cooked meals, taught lessons, nursed sick children, changed diapers, and prayed. That was his job. He did not raise funds. He did not solicit help ever from anyone. He did not craft a business plan or a development plan. He did not speak secretly to his friends and family. He didn't go on speaking tours to local churches. He worked the orphanage and he prayed. And miraculously, amazingly, God met their needs. In his autobiography, uh, Mueller recalled many instances that defy explanation. For instance, he told about a time when there was no food, literally no food. And so he gathered uh, all of the children, and he had them around a large, uh, their large dining room table, and he prayed. And he intended for this to be a night when he would teach them a lesson about fully depending on God, even in the most difficult circumstances, that God's presence is with us and he will carry us, even in the most trying times, even in hunger. He prayed, he said, Jesus' name, amen, and God had a different lesson in mind. There was a knock at the door. One of the children got up, went to the door, opened the door. There was not a person there, but the front porch was full of groceries. Mueller once said, the beginning of anxiety is the end of faith. And the beginning of true faith is the end of anxiety. 
I don't live like this. <laughs> now, honestly, I, I, I don't think all of us are called to live according to Mueller's model, thankfully, and I get that. But I don't feel like I'm even close to this. And that's a, that's a confession, by the way. And I suspect that the intimacy of my connection with God has been dampened because I don't live with this kind of faith and abandon. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. This isn't meant to be inspiration. This is meant to be practical instruction that we should follow. By the way, why add thanksgiving to the prayer equation? I, well, I think it's because when things are difficult, choosing to give thanks is an expression of faith. If you and I want to experience a connection with God, we will have to choose to pray with thanksgiving in the face of difficulty. This isn't a drive-through at McDonald's activity. You can't go home and try this today and tomorrow and then give it up the next day. God means for this to be a lifestyle. And the fruit of such a life is an experience of the presence of God. More about that in a minute. Now, if you're like me, you're going to be tempted to ask, how? I mean, I have a lot to worry about. And telling me to just ask and give thanks and not worry, that doesn't work. It's impossible. And it's, honestly, it feels like spiritual mumbo-jumbo. How do I actually do this? Well, I think part of the answer to that is for us to own the... We've got to repattern our brains so that we don't choose worry. Part of it, part of the key to this, I think, is recognizing that we, we choose worry, that the negative emotions that we just experience, there's a degree to which we, we choose them. I, I, remember my personal example from earlier? I think that many of us have built strong neural pathways, that's what the brain, brain scientists would tell us, strong neural pathways so that we are confronted by difficulty and we process that as worry. And uh, we don't recognize often the unconscious level at which we're choosing to defy Paul's command. We, we choose to worry instead of choosing to pray with thanksgiving. And somebody's got to be thinking, hold on, Ed, I'm not choosing to worry, it just happens. Okay, well, I, I want you to consider a couple of things in light of that. First, just consider that worry is often a matter of perception not reality. Uh, you know, 50% of women in America believe that they're overweight. And 27% uh, of the women in America are actually overweight. Now, 27 is not great, but 23% of women in America are completely wrong and are, are worried about something that's not reality. By the way, if you're between 18 and 35, 75% of you think you're overweight. And only 25% of you actually are. Uh, so at some level, we're choosing this. We're, we're accepting that perception of reality. Secondly, I want you to consider that there are known measures that lead you and I to relaxation, things like exercise and quiet and contemplation. We know, based on our own experience and numerous social science studies, that these things often reduce anxiety and worry. But when we get caught in a worry cycle, we don't choose those things. Why? 
Well, at least to some degree, we're choosing worry. I'm not saying there aren't real concerns in our lives. I'm not saying there aren't real physical, biological, even genetic components to worry, not to mention the circumstances, the emotional components. But I'm saying we don't tell ourselves the truth if we don't acknowledge that usually choice is a part of our worry. We're choosing it. And whether we like it or not, God commands us to choose to pray and give thanks instead of choosing to worry. We have to choose a different mindset. We have to guard our minds against worry and other negative emotions. We have to, we have to choose this, and it's good for us. Uh, the 19th century evangelist D.L. Moody once said, if you have so much business to attend to that you have no time to give thanks and pray, depend upon it. You have more business on hand than God ever intended you should have. So let me give us the hard truth this morning. This is almost, uh, if you don't, if you miss this, if you miss everything else in this whole series of conversations, don't miss this. Some of us simply don't have time to pursue and maintain a connection with God. So we shouldn't be surprised if we don't have one. Some of us don't have the time and we're not exercising the discipline to do the things that God tells us are the channels of relating to him. So we shouldn't be surprised if we are not relating to him. You know, this part of Paul's instruction is encouraging to me. Uh, honestly, praying with thanksgiving is something you can do. And I like things that I can do. And if you're, if you're a person who creates to-do lists, Put this on your to-do list. Rewire your brain and pray with thanksgiving. The third truth that leaps out of this passage for us about this issue of guarding our minds is if we want to experience a real dynamic connection with God, we will control what we think about. This may be the centerpiece of it, right? This is another way of saying guard your mind. Here's how Paul says it. Finally, whatever is true, follow this. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about those kinds of things. Obviously, we could have an entire lengthy conversation about this one verse, and we probably should sometime on a set of Sunday mornings. Right here, God gives us eight checkpoints that can secure the borders of our minds and protect us. So is the thing we're thinking about true? Is it noble? Is it right? Is it pure? Is it lovely and admirable? Is there, is there anything about what I'm thinking that's excellent and praiseworthy? Look at these checkpoints. Use them as inspection standards for your own thoughts. You know the old saying, you can't keep a bird from flying over your head, but you can keep it from building a nest in your hair? Well, Thoughts will present themselves to us from our experience, from the environment, from malevolent spiritual forces, but we don't have to entertain those thoughts. We don't have to dwell on them. We don't have to nurse those thoughts. We don't have to nurse our anger. We don't have to keep imagining what it would have been like if we had invested big money in Bitcoin two years ago. We don't have to think about that attractive person that we work with constantly. Are these thoughts true? Are they, are they right? Are they noble? Are they pure, lovely, admirable? Are they excellent or praiseworthy? So I did a little bit of 
Google searching this week on meat grinders. Sorry to the vegetarians among you. And I uh, totally did not know this, but this is a thing. This is a whole world. Meat grinders is a thing. There are, there are different kinds of meat grinders. They, they are used in different environments. You know, not just home and commercial. It's more nuanced than that. They're, they're, uh, they're made of different materials, different sizes. Uh, some of them have gears. They, they have different power components. Uh, there's a world of meat grinders out there, but one thing is absolutely true and absolutely the same for every single meat grinder, no matter the environment, no matter what it's made of, no matter how powerful it is. For all meat grinders, what you put on one end, one end of the meat grinder is what comes out the other ground up. So think of your thought life like a very sophisticated meat grinder. And what you allow in is what gets ground up and produced in our behavior. Paul summarizes the whole passage by saying this, whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put, some, put that into practice and the God of peace will be with you. So this brings us back to verse 7, doesn't it? I don't know if you noticed, but we skipped that part earlier, partly because... Paul harkens back to it here. There's one more great truth to add to our brain work. And uh, it serves, this, by the way, serves as an exclamation point to this entire series of conversations. So to set it up, let me one more time, read verses four through seven of this passage. And I want you to especially key in on verse seven. Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. I'm gonna say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So while we're working, our, while we're working on our connection to God, and we must, God is also working on us, drawing us sovereignly, near him. And as part of that work, he will guard our hearts and minds. And to a degree that we can't even understand, if we want a dynamic and real connection with God, we must allow God to guard our hearts and our minds. I've often quoted here at Gateway the early Christian leader, Augustine of Hippo, who said this, without God, I can't. Without me, God won't. We must do our part and then allow God to do his part. And it's been my experience, ultimately, that God kind of does both sides of that. Okay, let's wrap up. Four keys to guarding your mind. Key number one, choose to rejoice with gentleness. Build the mental habit of finding the good and identifying God's activity in everything that happens. So right now, how are you doing with that? Zero, I'm a utter failure at that 10, I kill that. I do that constantly. Choose to rejoice. Build a mental habit of finding the good and identifying God's activity in everything that happens. Number two, present your needs and concerns to God and give thanks. So begin to repattern your thinking. Train yourself so that a burden or difficulty triggers prayer instead of the worry cycle. Do the work. You'll live longer and happier, and your connection to God will be deeper. How you doing on that one? 
Difficulty happens. Neural pathways fire. What's the result? Let's begin to retrain ourselves so that the result is prayer with thanksgiving. Third, control your thought life. 2 Corinthians 10, 5, the Apostle Paul says, take every thought captive to make it obedient to Christ. I've literally done work over the course of my life in this. When I began to think, I've used, I've memorized Philippians 4, 8, and I've used those eight things as checkpoints. Is what I'm thinking about right now true? No, it's not true that I won the lottery, so stop thinking that. Uh, is what I'm thinking noble? No, that is decidedly not noble. I'm not going to run over my neighbor after he said, what he, no, that's not. I use this as a checkpoint. And I try to take every thought literally captive in obedience to Christ. Steal snatches of time. For me, something that's very helpful is memorizing Scripture. It means I can't think other stupid stuff. Fourth, God will guard your heart and mind. This is work he loves to do. One more note. I don't know if you noticed at the end of verse 7. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And once again, I have to say in summary, Jesus is the key to our connection with God. All right. In the end, the peace of God will guard our hearts and our minds. This peace is beyond our capacity to understand. It challenges our mind because it doesn't depend on circumstances. It provokes our hearts by explodingly exceeding expected emotions of depth and power. It, it transcends all understanding and it overcomes all enemies. It stands guard, forbidding admittance to anything that would weaken us or harm us. Is that kind of peace worth pursuing? Is it worth choosing? Is it worth the effort and discipline required, you bet it is. If we want to experience a real dynamic connection with God, if we want to know his peace, we will choose to do this work. And most of all, we will choose Christ. All right, let me pray for us. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up and uh, wrap this whole thing up with a song. But let me pray for us as they come. Father, we've been, we've been talking for a few weeks about how we build a connection with you. And we've heard you speak to us about how all that starts with a, with a, a transforming experience of you. And we lean into that. And then the way forward is the way it starts. We're always leaning in. And we've heard you say that we have to nurture the habit of uh, a personal time with you, a hangout, a creative devotional life. And it's got to include the Bible, and it's got to include prayer and learning how to pray. And, and today we've heard that we need to guard our thoughts. We need to guard our mind, creating space into which you can move and in which your peace can occupy You know, every one of us, Lord, come here with, uh, from very different spots, individual places. I, and Lord, we're in different places in our, in our walk with you, in our connection with you, in our relationship with you. 
And somehow you're able to meet all of us exactly where we are. So Lord, please meet us this morning. Inspire us. Um, where we've grown uh, discouraged, encourage us. Where we've grown weak, strengthen us. Lord, for those of us who are limping, come alongside in a real way. I, you know, God, it might, um, it occurs to me it, it might be physical. It might be a worry cycle. It might be depression. It might be doubt. And would you cut through that this morning and lift us up and uh, I can breathe life and wind into our wings and enable us to do the work this week of connecting with you. And as we do, meet us with that incredible peace. Take us, our lives, everything about us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.